You guys ready? Perfect. I think you guys are ready. I heard it. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, always welcome our, our friends from across the pond, uh, Nikki and Lindsay, uh, the niece of the nieces of, uh, of uh, Hazel, and uh, so make sure you guys say hi to them. Give them a, a Toronto welcome. Um, we actually have online as well, uh, all the way from Brandon, Manitoba. Some of you have been praying for him. Uh, his name is Nathan. He went through back surgery. He's one of my friends from Brandon, Manitoba. I uh, went through back surgery. He's just recovering now. Uh, it was a pretty, a pretty intense surgery, and but he's uh, he's doing well, doing recovering well. Him and his mother are watching online, so that's kind of cool. So shout out to you guys. And uh, yeah, if you um, uh, before we dive right into our, our, our series here, I got something for you this this morning. Um, let me just get my, my, my pages all reset from our first service. We had a great time in our first service this morning. Um, you know, this week, as I've shared a couple of testimonies with you guys, I've just been reminded over and over by God's grace. Uh, you know, there's been challenges. If you, if you ever have been through challenges or trials, maybe you've been through storms in your life, maybe you've just gone through tribulations, just remember that this, okay? Those are just testimonies of God's overcoming work that you're going to be a witness of. And uh, I want you to hold on to that this morning. I want you to remember that all those trials, those storms that you're facing, they're going to be, we like to call them here at Church in the City, we call them 511s, testimonies. comes from 1 Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians 511, which... Uh, uh, says to uh, to pick up one another and encourage one another, and, um, and that's why we call them testimonies here. And we're excited for the testimonies that are to come. In our series today, we're into uh, uh, the 19th section of our series called Trailblazer. We're into Acts chapter 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'll give you a moment to find it there. It'll also be um, a few scriptures on the screen as well. And uh, the last two weeks. We've been looking at the life of Stephen. Church, can you say Stephen? Stephen, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't, uh, 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 a, a, uh, um, you know, a, a lead pastor at a church. He wasn't a worship leader or anything like that. He was actually just, he was chosen to be an administrator. He was a, a regular guy who was Holy Spirit filled, who loved Jesus, loved to share the word. He was righteous in the eyes of God and what he did was he was the, the apostles, they were at capacity for their ministry. They were um, doing the preaching ministry. They were doing the praying ministry. And they, they decided they needed to bring some people onto their team to help with the administration, uh, make sure all areas of the ministry that no one was going to be overlooked. And, and so Stephen was one of seven who, who helped with that area. And, and Stephen was also, as he was in his administration role, he also was uh, praying and sharing the good news and, and walking with people. And as he was uh, doing so, there were signs and wonders and, and miracles that were happening through his ministry. That's what scripture tells us. Uh, he was basically sharing that Jesus is king, Jesus is Messiah, he's the name above all names. And, and then he, as he's Holy Spirit inspired, he demonstrated in the power of God. And, and many people came to know the Lord. Many people were healed. Uh, many people that uh, were set free from uh, any spiritual um, captivity. And, and, and his ministry was booming. It was really, really cool. So basically what happened, all these higher-ups, they saw what Stephen was doing. They saw that it was threatening their way of life, threatening that, you know, as higher-ups, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, they wanted all the power. They wanted all the uh, uh, money. They wanted um, to have the popularity. And, and what they did was they set up some liars. They, they called in some liars. They hired them to 
say that Stephen was blaspheming the scripture. That gave them the opportunity to put Stephen on trial. So that's exactly what they did. They put Stephen on trial, put him on trial in front of all the higher-ups, all the big wigs in the area. The, it's called the Sanhedrin or this courthouse where he was going to be questioned. And, and even in that courthouse, they have hired two false witnesses to go against Stephen, to say that he was blaspheming the scriptures. And, and through all of that all, I think Stephen had an idea that, all this was going on, that something was going to happen, that something drastic was going to happen, regardless of what was going to happen out of this trial. And what Stephen did was, his heartbeat wasn't to, you know, get his ledger clean or to get the not guilty plea. His heartbeat was basically to speak into the lives of these higher-ups. He wanted to share with them. He, re- he showed them the scripture and actually shared with them that you guys are acting like the, the, the wicked people of our ancestors. You are the ones that are turning away from God. You are literally doing the same thing. It's time for you to turn away from that wicked ways and turn to God. And what Stephen did, he walked him through scripture all the way from Abraham all the way to David. He showed them that he's not blaspheming the scripture. And he revealed to them that you guys got to turn uh, from your wicked ways. This is your opportunity that God actually loves you even through your wickedness, even through uh, all, the, all the bad habits that you're doing, all the wrong things that you're doing. God has chosen you. He sees through those bad habits and he loves you. He wants you to change. So you can imagine all these higher-ups, these Sadducees, these, uh, uh, these uh, uh, big wig guys. They, were, they, they had all the power, all the money, all the control. And they were in front of all their peers being told by this guy named Stephen, an uh, uneducated guy named Stephen, um, saying that they're wrong, that they're wicked, that they need to change. They need to change from their ways. So obviously, their, their big heads, their arrogance what happened is they became furious. They got so mad at Stephen. Um, uh, they, they, they had it already set up that he was blaspheming the scripture, even though he walked them through it, and it led to them stoning Stephen. Um, what we're going to start is Acts chapter 8. We're actually going to pick up uh, from one of the last verses in Acts chapter 7. I'll just read that in uh, verse 58 of Acts chapter 7. It says, They dragged him out of the city, this is Stephen, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then Acts 8 starts out in verse 1. The beginning of verse 1 says this, And Saul approved of their killing him. Church, can you say, Here comes Saul. All right, can you do it one more time together? Ready? Here comes Saul. Good, good. So the two verses we just looked at, they show us that Saul, Saul was the instigator of all this. Saul, from the very beginning, he was there helping to plan, helping to scheme to get to take Stephen down. He was the instigator in all of this. They even set up official listeners in the courthouse that day so that when Stephen's message was conveyed, they will change it. They're going to have it down in, in their history books, in their legal ways, that Stephen will be charged with blasphemy, even though it wasn't true, true at all. But they, he rigged it that way. It was punished by death. And when they laid down their coats at the feet of Saul, when they looked to Saul as Saul approved of the killing of Stephen... It's clear Luke, who's the, the author of the book of Acts, he wants his readers to see, that the, see the wickedness of the heart of Saul. 
So our passage continues. There's three sections to our passage in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at them in order that way. The first section is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It talks about the church being persecuted and scattered. And like I said, the passage starts out with Saul approving the killing of Stephen. It's some really messed up stuff. He's the instigator of all. It's a really, really nasty move from, from Saul. The passage continues on. And it says, on that day, persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All Christians scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Now, this is actually the second major transition in in Luke's writings. Uh, If we look back to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it talks about the apostles will receive the power when the Holy Spirit overflows upon them. And they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What's sad about this scene, it's that it's persecution that actually was the driving force that, that, send, that eventually sends the apostles throughout Judea and Samaria. And we're going to get there, and some of you might have noticed that it said that the apostles actually stayed back. And it's a very interesting move that the apostles at the start stayed back. They didn't decide to scatter. They didn't decide to flee. you think they would want to do that because they would have been major targets for Saul. I think there was a level of uh, being courageous there. I think there was a level of standing firm in, in, the, in the Holy Scripture. I think they wanted to also encourage the other believers that were there in Jerusalem that remained behind. Probably some of them would have helped even hide the, uh, hide the apostles that were there too. In verse 2, there's another interesting thing. Um, the passage talks about godly men in verse 2. Uh, they said, godly men stayed behind and buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And and if you go through all of Luke's references, when he talks about godly men, it's actually a di- it's distinct from the disciples or the apostles. It's his favorite term that he calls all believers, anyone who is a Christ follower, a Christian. In verse 3, something else I found inter- interesting was the description of the actions of Saul. It says in verse 3, we can look at it together in chapter 8, uh, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So when you dig into this meaning of destroy, um, throughout the New Testament, throughout Luke's writings, it's that the men and women weren't just thrown into prison. uh, Eventually they were tortured. Eventually they were put to death. So you can take a picture of who this Saul is. Saul is this awful guy. You know, he, he, he instigated, put together the way Stephen was going to be taken down. He got the government approval of it. And then he started persecuting the, persecuting the church, going house to house, killing many. So let's take some perspective of what this means for us today. Well, I'm going to try to paint a picture for you all, and then we can have some self-reflection. You know, the persecuted church... You know, it just wasn't then during the time of of Saul. It's continued throughout all of history. It continues until today. It actually is going to continue into the future. I know there's some people in here that love sports, and uh, with loving sports, you love statistics. I got some statistics for you. 360 million Christians today face the reality of either death, physical violence, physical violence towards themselves or loved ones, losing their homes, losing their jobs. 360 million. Christians are the most persecuted people group on earth. One in eight Christians worldwide are persecuted for their faith. 
Here's another one for you. Every two hours, a Christian is killed for following Jesus Christ. So imagine this. If you said these five words, I believe in Jesus Christ, imagine facing torture, imagine facing death, imagine facing losing everything you have, imagine facing your family going through that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I think there are many, many lessons we can learn from this reality. There are two things that kind of jump out at me. The first one's this, is when the going gets tough, are we also going to get tough and get going? I know in Canada, we actually have it extremely easy. We're blessed. And we're, we're finally, we're only starting now to experience some levels of, uh, of, of government pushback, of, of persecution. You know, standing up for the Holy Scriptures, today it could cost you your job. It could cost you your promotion. It, it could cost some friendships. There are even governmental pressures on, on, on churches and, 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 and uh, uh, companies and organizations and charities that are partnered with churches uh, like PCC. Anyone who's even connected to that has government pressures on losing charitable status and things like that. Maybe you need to hear this reality this morning. It's actually going to continue to get tougher. It's really going to separate those who have a deep-rooted faith in Christ and those who are lukewarm, who have one foot in and one foot out. When things get tough, are you going to get tough and get going? Are you going to be uh, living out Romans 1.16? I am unashamed of the gospel. Are you going to be like the apostles and stand firm and courageous um, in, in, in what the scripture has to say? Are you going to, when the challenges come, denounce your faith and, and when, when, any, when any moral challenges you face? Or are you going to say those five words, I believe in Jesus Christ? Another thing that jumped out, jumps out at me is that I'm just so reminded that we are so blessed here in Canada. We are so, um, we do have it easy, but we also have a call to duty. We need to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters around our globe. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'm actually encouraged to be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters who are standing strong, who are unashamed of the gospel. I pray that it inspires us this morning. And let us lift them up in prayer. Let us pray for their protection. Let us pray for their ministry to continue to blossom and, and for God's protection over them. Let's continue to support our missionaries. Let's continue to support our fellowship, our Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. We have many, many missionaries that are, are uh, in the, the restricted access nations and, and things like that as well. Let us support them. Let us lift them up. Our next section of scripture is Acts chapter 8, verses 4 and 8. It's Philip in Samaria. We can read that together. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So Luke's writings, it starts about by referencing Saul's persecution. It's actually primarily to give the background of the major advance of the movement of God, of, of, of the gospel going to Samaria. 
by all those who had been scattered. Church, I pray that that's an encouragement for us today. What the devil meant for evil, God used it for good. Those who had been scattered preached the gospel everywhere they went. The good news that Jesus is king. Jesus is the Messiah, the name above all names. Philip's ministry produced many signs and wonders, including those dealing with impure spirits casting out of, uh, of, the, of people's bodies, and many who were paralyzed or lame. They were healed. And I love how it ends that passage. That there was great joy in the city. Church, be encouraged. The enemy meant for evil, the persecution of the church. God turned it for good. Maybe that is a part of what revival will look like in Canada. As the persecution continues, maybe the growth of Christianity will follow suit. Now, I'm not saying we should wait. I think there's enough persecution going on now. If we look at uh, what's being taught to our kids, what's being taught to our teens, look, if we look at our universities and our colleges, they are very anti-God. They're very anti-Jesus, specifically. That's enough for me to know that we need to stand up. We actually need to be, have this urgency to share the gospel. And I shared this a few weeks ago, how, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great move for us. We definitely still need to build relationships and friendships with people and allow the Holy Spirit to minister through who we are to people. We should always be doing that. But as we look to the scripture time and time again, as we see the uh, apostles' lives, as we see uh, the life of Jesus and many others. We see Philip and, and Stephen, and, and we're going to see uh, a few others as we go forward through this series. They're preaching the gospel. They're demonstrating the power of God as they are Holy Spirit-led. God has empowered them, has given them spiritual gifts. Church, God has given you spiritual gifts we got to use our gifts and actually walk and demonstrate the power of God. We walk by faith, and we're going to see all, all these, these amazing things come to fruition, and lives will be changed forever. That's what it's all about. And we see Philip's ministry, all these people gathering and hearing about uh, what was happening in Samaria. It actually leads to our next section called Simon the Sorcerer. That's from uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. I'm just going to summarize that. Through Philip's ministry and all these people gathering, one of those people gathering was this guy named Simon. Simon was well-known in Samaria. He um, uh, was known for his sorcery. He claimed to be a man of great power. He has God's power upon him. He called himself great. I don't know if he actually called himself Simon the Great, but he did call himself great. Um, Simon kind of strikes me as a guy who would speak in the third person about himself, you know. Simon is really cool, you know. Simon likes the ladies. Simon has the power of God. All this kinds of stuff. That's who the vibe of Simon, uh, what the vibe of Simon the sorcerer gives me. When the people of Samaria heard the gospel message from Philip, that Jesus is king, that he's the Messiah, the name above all names, they believed and they got baptized, just like our brother uh, Justice they wanted to make a public declaration that they want to follow God for the rest of their lives. Surprisingly, Simon himself, he heard the gospel message from Philip. He actually believed. And then he actually got baptized as well. He started to follow Philip all around everywhere. And Simon got to see the signs and miracles firsthand and was absolutely amazed. 
So what happened is the word got out to the apostles all the way in Jerusalem that Samaria came to know the Lord. So Peter and John, they said, oh, we got to make a visit down to Samaria. And they prayed, and they, they actually prayed for all that were baptized in water. They said, now it's to be time to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the passage continues on. It talks about uh, a Simon seeing that what the disciples did, that they laid the hands on, on the people, and they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon, he wanted that. And he had the audacity to talk to Peter and John that way and say, can I pay for that kind of power? Can I give you all the money you want? You can give me that ability. And I, 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 something about it makes me excited when Peter gets a chance to, like, speak a real truth at someone, you know, be totally brutally honest. I don't know why that pumps me up and that gets me going, but it just does. Peter is ready to roll here. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. <laughs> I like it. Um, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now, church, I know that's a harsh truth. I think maybe because I sometimes have thoughts like that, but I'm pretty, I think I'm a sweetheart, I'm too kind, I'm not like Peter. So the cool thing is what happens next is Simon says to Peter and John, he says, can you pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me? And I think what we see is a really cool picture. This Simon the sorcerer who is, who is into such bad things, heard the gospel message, changed his ways, still struggled in many ways, still didn't know a lot of things, and, and you see the growth of him. And even from that stern uh, uh, rebuke from Peter, he says, I want to change. I want that, uh, a, a new life that way. The passage ends with basically Peter and John uh, continuing to preach the gospel, and even on the way back to Jerusalem, they stopped in many villages, uh, Samaritan villages, and shared the good news. Now, one thing that I guess came up in, in, in my heart as I was studying this passage is we see how many had followed Simon the sorcerer. Many believed and, and, and thought that, yo, he's either God or, or he's a prophet from God, and, and, and he led many astray. You know, I th it, was, it was a great reminder of what Scripture tells us about the end times. I think a lot of times at church, we get scared to talk about the end times. The second coming of Christ. You know, I love how our worship leader, Ernest. He has this heartbeat and he shares this regularly. He shares how God first came to earth when he sent Jesus. He, he sent him as a humble baby in the most humblest of ways. But the next time when he comes, he's coming back not as a humble baby. He's coming back as a triumphant king. Christ the king. You know, Scripture shares about some of the signs of the end times that we can actually uh, uh, pay attention to. Pay attention and, and understand that these are the times, uh, these are some of the signs that the end times are coming, that the, the, the return of Christ. Some of them are on the screen here, is, uh, might be hard for some of you to read, is the persecution of believers. Is one of them. The apostasy in the church. People will leave the church. The appearance of false Christs, teachers, and prophets. Wars and rumors of wars. 
famines and earthquakes. The appearance of the Antichrist. Scripture actually indicates that it's, it is a person, but also includes a corporate Antichrist movement. A lot to think about, church. And as many who were tricked by Simon the sorcerer, who they thought was a god or a prophet, you know, that's, that's what's happening and, and still is happening now. There's going to be a time where your faith will be challenged. You know, and I don't share this with you, church in the city, to scare you. It's something that we need to prepare for. That we need to be rooted in our faith. Rooted in the Holy Scripture, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. So that nothing is going to shake us. Nothing is going to make us turn to the left or to the right, but our eyes will be focused on Christ. You know, I think our, I'll speak for North American church culture, maybe even Canadian church culture. I think our standards, our standards of standing firm in the scripture have been bending slowly and slowly as the years go by. I'll give you one simple example. Church attendance, the standard, the, uh, the stat that is taken, you are a regular churchgoer if you go once a month to church. That's 12 times a year. I don't think that's what Scripture says. The Bible teaches us to remember the Sabbath day. To, it is to rest. It is for the Lord. And there's so many things for sure in our culture, but even in our church culture today that we've become lenient on compared to what the scripture has to say. So church, I'm reminded this morning that we really need to be preparing and standing arm in arm together as the church body, as these challenges will be coming. We know that God actually wants to use these challenges, what the enemy means for evil. God wants the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to flow along the Esplanade, the Canary, the surrounding high-rise communities, through the downtown core of Toronto. God wants to use it for good. And people are searching for their meaning. People are searching for purpose. They're searching for hope. They're, search they're searching for love. And what they're finding in the world is temporary fixes, temporary satisfaction. Church, if you, can, if, if, if you continue down the road of, of finding temporary satisfaction in the world, all it leads to is destruction. You're never going to be fully satisfied. When you're finished with one thing, you're going to move on to the next. The reality of it is what scripture tells us is if you choose the way of the world, if you choose earthly desires, you're going to be choosing the path of destruction. A path that doesn't lead you to heaven. A path that God doesn't intend for you to be on. And all of us, all of humanity, we're all subject to sin. We're all sinful. We don't have the ability to pay our own debt of, of sin, to get out of that sin. That's why we look to the cross that, that the death the debt has actually already been paid by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you can't pay that debt, that's what eternal damnation is. That's what scripture says. Scripture also reminds us, it encourages us that God actually chose you through all of whatever your sinful past is, through all your bad habits. God looked through all that 
and sees the real you and chose you. God wants you to choose that way. He wants to have this lasting, loving relationship with you. He paid the price of sin for you because he loves you. But it still has to be a choice you make to follow him, to receive the gift and the blessings that he has for you. Maybe as the worship team's coming up, maybe you're here today, maybe you're online today, maybe you're struggling with the idea that God is real. Maybe you're struggling with the idea that, you know, even if God is real, how do I know it's Christianity that I'm supposed to follow? Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while or a long time and, and you still really just struggle with believing or, or you struggle that, you know, how could God care about my life? What's the point of, like, you think he has time to spend time on me? Whatever your thoughts or ideas are, something along those lines. I have a challenge for you today. Whether you believe in God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or whether you don't, wherever you are on that spectrum, I want you to think of the biggest trial you have, the biggest challenge you have, the biggest burden you are going through, the biggest storm you have going on in your life. Maybe you have it locked away deep inside your heart. You know what it is, but you lock it away. You push it away so you don't have to think about it. You don't have to, to worry about it. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you got the debt the size of the Rocky Mountains. You don't know how you're going to climb through it. You don't know how you're going to pay it off. You don't know how you're going to make your next bill payments. Maybe you're struggling to even get the next meal on the table. Maybe you got a physical ailment that's been around for a long time or something that's been this just causing you harm, something that's challenging to you. Maybe it's a mental health issue. I know many of our, our kids and youth and, and, and young adults, they go through so much, and, and, and all of us, they go through so much stress, anxiety, worry, there's self-hatred, there's, there's suicidal thoughts. I know that there are many of you in this room, including myself, We've gone through different challenges than you, but some of them are pretty similar. Some of them are very challenging in this very room. If you've gone through a challenge, if you've gone through a storm, if you've gone through a trial or tribulation, just like me, can, can you raise your hand this morning? If, if you've been through something like that, that's been so challenging, so tough. Now, can you keep your hand raised if, if through prayer and petition, God has overcame that challenge, that God has come through for you. And if you can just look around the room this morning, if, 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 uh, if you haven't had that, if you're here today, I got a challenge for you, whether you believe or whether you don't. I want you to think about what that is. And you probably know pretty quickly what that, that trial is, what that challenge is, what, what that hurt that you have. All I want to do is pray for you today. I want you to take a step of faith and I just want to pray for you. And, and with every eye closed, every head bowed, the only step of faith, I'm not asking you for a physical step of faith this morning. All you have to do is raise your hand this morning. If you have a trial a challenge, a storm in your life, something that's just breaking you down, something that's weighing so heavy, heavily deep on you. 
I want to take, I want to ask you to take a step of faith this morning and raise your hand. You know, I think some people, I think sometimes we get the idea that, you know, we got to play hide and seek. We got to go out and we got to find God. And I think that's the wrong idea. God wants to know you. God wants to speak to you. God wants you to know him, feel his presence, feel his, his, his love and his mercy. He wants you to trust in him and to follow him. He wants to speak to you and encourage you. So if you have a challenge this morning, I just want to pray for you. And, and maybe you're just struggling with this idea that how can Jesus be God? Is there a real God? I just want you to take a step of faith and, and, and give it over to God as I pray for you this morning. Whatever challenge, trial, tribulation we face, they're just testimonies of God's overcoming work that you're gonna be a witness of. I myself and many of the, many in this room know that and can testify to that. Let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for those who are willing to take that step of faith today. Maybe, Lord, they, they, they are struggling with this idea if you are even real. And we, Lord, we know that's okay. We know you, you love them, you care about them. We know... You know exactly the hurt they're going through, the trial they're going through, the brokenness they may be feeling. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your peace overflows upon them right now, God. Holy Spirit, let your presence be so strong in this place. God, I pray that you reveal yourself to them right now, God that you let them know that they are loved, that you have a purpose and plan for them, God. Lord, I pray that any challenge that they're facing, the storm that they're facing right now in the name of Jesus, that you overcome, that you break through that challenge, that you break the chain that was weighing them down, Lord, that you take the mountain that's in front of them, that you wipe it away. Lord, I pray for anyone who's going through a financial struggle right now, Lord, that you make a way. Anyone who's going through a, a physical hurt right now, Lord, that you make them whole. Lord, anyone who's going through these uh, emotional stresses, these mental health stresses, God, who's struggling with constant anxiety or worry or stress or hatred or, 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 or suicidal thoughts, God, I pray in Jesus' name you replace all those things with your love, with your peace, that you remind them, that you let them know that they are loved, that you have a purpose and plan for them, God. In the name of Jesus, we proclaim that over their lives. We just thank you for your goodness and mercy, Lord. And we just give you all the glory and all the praise. We're excited for the testimonies for the 511s that we're going to hear about, Lord. Lord, I pray that you build our faith to go and share your goodness, share your love, the love you have for us, the hope you've given us to others. Give us an opportunity this week to do so. In your mighty name I pray. Everyone said? Amen. If you're able, why don't you stand with me? And uh, Ernest is going to lead.